This is the Pain Information Network, 45. Welcome back to this episode, number 45, in which I speak with Alan Kay, MD, PhD. Now, what did I just say? He not only has a medical degree, but he also has a PhD, and in this case, it's a PhD in pharmacology. So he's deep, deep into the understanding of drugs, their behavior with humans, and their behavior in the lab, and and behavior in theory, and some of the forward thinking with drugs that may be coming. He joins me today, a wealth of information. He's professor, full professor, that's a big deal, and chairman at the LSU School of Medicine, Department of Anesthesiology. And he's in charge of the pain program. Really well trained. He'll tell you about that. Now, another interesting point, and I, I like to make this point. Where you think might be the best places in the world for whatever care, the big names, the Mayos, the Harvards, the – well, I, I was at Yale. Well, you know, they're good. Yeah, no, kid, no kidding. World class, world class. But have you heard of a hospital for special surgery? New York City? Have you heard of University of Texas at Lubbock? Well, Lubbock is a place where it's, I consider it kind of pain-hallowed ground. Dr. Prithvi Raj, MD, and Gabor Rax, two extremely special people to the practice of medicine, particularly pain medicine, nurtured their career, and spun off a wealth of information that is applied all over the world. I have to bow my head and, with sadness, mention Dr. Prithvi Raj. Uh, He passed away. His wife is one of the most delightful people you'll ever meet. Condolences. We in the pain community and community of medical educators and those that practice will sorely miss him. So... To his honor and to his dedication, today's episode is with one of his prodigy, the offspring of a fantastic program, one of the best programs in the world, uh, well-known throughout the world, one that he built with Dr. Rax, and we will be talking about pharmacology, the depths of pharmacology, and the importance of understanding what these drugs are all about to our treatment of pain, and to do it right for the right reasons. Let's get to it. Today I've got a big fish with this, and it's really a pleasure to have Alan Kay, MD, PhD, professor and chairman at the LSU School of Medicine, Department of Anesthesiology, and Pain Medicine. So I've known Alan for some time. Well-trained individual. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Alan. Oh, well, uh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here to talk to you for a few minutes. I um, have a background in anesthesia. I uh, did a pain fellowship at Texas Tech under Gabor Rax and Prithi Raj, Leland Liu, Miles Day, some really wonderful teachers over in Lubbock, Texas. I was the chair there for six years. In the last 11 years, I've been the chair at LSU uh, Medical Center in New Orleans. Yeah, and that's not the title. That's a, that's a big school with a big reputation. Now, we just briefly touched on your topic yesterday. I thought it would be great to have you on. Um, and we go back to c- controlled substances and the problems we're having with controlled substances. 
Tell me a little bit about some of the emphasized points in your lecture yesterday. Particularly, let, let's start with the, the dark side of the drugs. Yeah. Well, you know, it's unfortunate, but over the last 15, 16 years, if you look at the statistics, there's a fourfold increase in the amount of opiates prescribed in this country and a fourfold increase in the number of deaths from opiates in this country. And it works out to about 44 deaths a day. This includes not only prescription pain medicines, but medications that would be considered illicit, such as heroin. Yeah, heroin has just exploded, probably because the availability of controlled substances are are becoming tougher and tougher as the awareness in the community is starting to crimp down on their availability. Up goes heroin. Yeah. There's no doubt that prescription pain medications for legitimate purposes uh, many times become a gateway to illicit drugs such as heroin. And that really speaks to the pharmacology and physiology of opiate use. If you take 100 people, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their ethnicity, uh, over a period of weeks and months, they're going to have a shutdown of their natural opiate production. And so those pills are being taken not for a high, just to maintain a stable uh, homeostasis. And so when they are stopped... Say someone's on pain medication for four months, six months, two years. When they're stopped, if you take 100 people, this is going to happen in all 100 of them, they're going to have a central nervous system hyperarousal state. They're going to have an increase in their heart rate and their blood pressure. They're going to have a nervousness, muscle cramping, many features that sound and look like an, uh, a URI, upper respiratory infection, a flu. Uh, they're going to have aches and pains. And you know what? They're going to end up wanting, craving, and be very determined to get either another prescription pain medication or, unfortunately, heroin. Yeah. So that hedonic tone, that ick, I feel awful, I don't have my pills, that's a real issue for us because they don't necessarily look for the high at some point. What they're looking for is that uh, I don't want to feel bad. And so they... They look to dark sources, and with heroin being laced with fentanyl nowadays, it's not an, only an epic high, it's a deadly high. Have you seen that much? Well, there's all kinds of data across our country in every community where people are having uh, respiratory depression and considerable morbidity and mortality from heroin and heroin laced with different things. You know, it comes from Mexico it's dirt cheap. A hit of it can be 10 bucks or less delivered to your door with a text message. I think that you saw this last week. The FDA, the government, uh, different agencies are trying to figure out what to do with this epidemic. I think that it's important for different uh, stakeholders to realize how, how big a problem we have and, in particular, our physicians that prescribe pain medications need to be very aware that, you know, not everybody needs pain medication for two years, five years, three years when they have a um, process that really is lasting a matter of weeks or a couple months. 
Yeah, exactly. Pain is not an opioid deficiency. And just take let's just take it uh, around the block here for a second. You have a lot of experience with pharmacology. Obviously, you're a pharmacologist with high-end credentials. And on the MD side, you're treating people as well. Very unique experience. So here's a scenario. Here's a scenario. You have a, a family member coming in with somebody that's in pain. And they... They say, "Yeah, I got to have medicine. I got to have something. I can't. I can't get out of bed. I need more pills." Well, it, it's always been hard for me to believe that a little tiny pill is going to change somebody's life that much. But they're driven by by certain factors. And tell us about some of those things. Well, you know, there's just a constellation of signs, symptoms, behaviors that a patient who is in chronic pain has. They have problems sleeping. They have depression, often anxiety, and so they have a lot of problems with their family members at work. Uh, They struggle to have the functionality that people without pain are fortunate to not have to deal with. And so people who take pain medications rapidly end up dependent on them as we talked about a few minutes ago, a little, people don't realize that uh, opiates have incredible pharmacologic properties. I just want to give you three quick ones. One is that they shut down your testosterone production. And this is not only men but women as well. People on longstanding opiates can have low testosterone states, which can make them depressed and feel uh, without uh, energy, have sexual issues. The second thing I want to mention is that opiates can propagate infection. And so if you're one of those people on opiates for long term, you may wonder why you're always getting an infection. They suppress the natural killer cells in your body. And the third thing that people are not aware of is that opiates, by suppressing natural killer cells, propagate cancer cells. And Hmm. so people who are having cancer uh, and are getting pain medications need to be mindful to take the least dose or lowest dose possible so they don't propagate uh, their their cancer state. Well, that's that's really interesting. I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that. And it's it's not really something you would think intuitively because I have cancer, I, I have pain, I need pain medicine. And that medicine may actually be working against them. You know, I guess that brings up another concept you could comment on, and that's opioid-induced hyperalgesia. Tell us about that a little. And so uh, this is a, a common phenomenon for people taking opiates long-term. Their body resets, and so, you know, you're touched on your arm or your leg. That's usually not painful for a normal person, but they have a hyperalgesic state. Uh, and so they're just completely uh, in an abnormal uh, state. And there are just a constellation of end results for people on opiates long term. And so it's okay to give an opiate if you're in pain. The question is how long you take it and what are the consequences. You have to talk very candidly with your provider and make good decisions for you depending on your pain state. You know, and you have to be realistic too. Uh, people might be able to live with a, a modest amount of pain versus a massive amount of pain. People might do well with a deep tissue massage 
to take away some aches and pains or a little Voltaran cream or a lidoderm patch in an affected area rather than a massive amount of opiate. So we need to be realistic. We need to be uh, appropriate. We need to be mindful of the consequences. I serve on the FDA advisory board for analgesics, and there's a huge emphasis in that agency for new medications coming out that are opiate-related to have deterrence in the pills because so many people crush and attempt to snort or inject their opiate for a euphoric high. Different studies have shown anywhere from two out of five to four out of five people will take their opiates and uh, try to deface them, crush them, uh, snort them, inject them. Uh, And so the FDA is now requiring and has an emphasis on physical deterrence so that if you crush the uh, opiate pill, it turns into kind of like an Elmer's glue-like substance or an adversive uh, component like niacin where if you crush it, you're going to have a a niacin release, which is very unpleasant, or an antagonist such as naloxone embedded in the opiate uh, product uh, for example, Suboxone is a classic that has buprenorphine, uh, the analgesic, along with naloxone. Right. The new one, Embedda, which is a morphine, uh, that's a brand name, Embedda. Uh, it's morphine, but it has now Trexone in it. And, you know, you know, we got to turn the corner at some point and talk briefly about we got somebody that is habituated to these medications, that are dependent on these medications, not necessarily an addict, but they need a little help. And so this drug now, Trexone, is FDA-approved now, and it, it can help us. It can help us a lot. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, now, Trexone is a long-acting antagonist. It's been shown to decrease cravings for opiates, so that's a good thing. And it's basically a deterrent, much like antabuses for alcoholism. And that is if you take an opiate or try to get one, uh, when you shouldn't, uh, the naltrexone will serve as a blocker or antagonist for those effects. And so they now have it in a pellet. You can put it in your tissues, and uh, it can be released over many months, again, as a deterrent. So I think naltrexone is an example of an antagonist either within a pill or standing by itself in uh, the fight against uh, opiate abuse. Yeah, and it keeps people alive. They can even get a shot, and it lasts a month. So it, t- it takes a lot of cravings away. And it's FDA-approved now for alcohol, too, I believe. And it decreases the cravings there, too. Is that right? Well, you know, there's some research that shows that pe- people with alcoholism, not, not all of them, but some of them have a metabolism uh, and a production of opiate-like substances. Uh, and so there are parallels with alcohol related disease and opiate related disease you know there's just a whole biology and i know since uh, i asked you to write the chapter in our substance abuse book <laughs> on the biology of addiction there's a lot of parallels uh, from one addiction to another uh, and it's a fascinating uh, topic and we're going to understand more and more as the years go on as science catches up with some of our big problems in society. Yeah, I, I, I know you got to run here, but I, I, I do want to. I want to ask you just uh, one more thing. And when we talk about a physician and the patient and the relationship, 
you know, we talk about the risk-reward benefit all the time. You hear me say that uh, until you're sick of hearing it. But, you know, physicians, they're not sitting alone. They might be sitting as a duck. Tell me what happens to a physician if there's a prescription or an overdose problem. So as I said, 44 people a day die of opiate-related overdoses. So that includes prescription medications and illicit like heroin. When there is a death, the government agencies will look on the prescription profile of that person and go back at least a year and see who prescribed them medications. So even though they died of a heroin overdose, they may have gotten prescriptions for opiates in the past. If you are the one who prescribed, expect to be investigated. And so there is no liability. There's nowhere to hide. Uh, and you need to really think about this. Let me give you a, a story. I was like talking about my mother. My mother's had seven back surgeries and was put on opiates for over 20 years. And, you know, she was on other medications, and it would be typical for me to call her. She lives in another state, and she'd have her, her words a little bit slurred, and she wouldn't be as sharp as, as I recalled her in my childhood. Uh, my mother in July stopped all opiates. This is after 20-something years. Failed back surgery syndrome. Uh, she also has post-herpetic neuralgia. Do you know that in the past nine months, she has not asked for an opiate once? Yeah, that's great. So you, you, you really need to think about the natural body production of opiate, how it shut down over time with pills, and these pills are often a gateway, especially in our younger community, for illicit opiates such as heroin. So we want to, if we remember our Hippocratic Oath, do the best we can to help people and certainly not hurt them and be aware of the risk-benefit ratio of these uh, interesting drugs. Remember that opiate pharmacology is such that it was in 1975 at Johns Hopkins that opiate receptors were first identified in the brain and the spinal cord, and now we know that there are opiate receptors throughout the body. We're in our infancy, infancy in opiate pharmacology, its understanding, its implications, and physiology. And I think that over time, it behooves all of us, lay people, healthcare providers, government agencies, to really understand all of the angles and ramifications in the use of opiates and pain management. Yeah, great. That's, that's incredibly important. So I'm not going to let an expert in pharmacology go without this last comment slash question that needs to be emphasized to the community that mixing these opioids with benzodiazepines, alcohol, or whatever is a huge threat to people. Can you drive that home? Absolutely. Uh, I've seen and reviewed many an autopsy over the years throughout the country of people taking opiates, taking adjuvant sedatives, and over-the-counter medications such as Benadryl, herbal products. Uh, You know, there are Uh, complex interactions with all of these and uh, it is imperative if you're on an opiate and it should be stated in an opiate agreement to not ever use alcohol and to not take 
other medications without implicitly ex- discussing them with your healthcare provider. Because you know what? You're going to lose. We did a survey in our cl- pain clinic, and uh, we found that one guy was taking over a dozen aspirin a day on top of his opiate, which is a great way to get a GI bleed and die. Uh, and so people do things on their own. We were on the front page of the USA Today many years ago with a survey we did on herbal products. We found that one in three people coming for surgery or pain procedures were taking one or more herbal product, but 70% of them did not tell us on routine assessment. So we, we need to know what everyone is on, and we need to be very aware. People need to be aware or they're going to lose. And, you know, you are responsible for yourself. My mother used to love to say, I am following the doctor's prescription. Yeah, except she's not telling the doctor all the information of all the other things she's doing or taking. You need to be candid and clear and concise, communicate effectively what you are taking, and read and learn and be an expert in your own pharmacology of the medicines you take so that you can live a, a long happy and healthy life. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah, it's it's your body. It's your life. It's your responsibility to take care of it, and that's well put. So uh, it's been a real honor to have you, and I hope to have you again sometime. Thanks so much for your input. I know this is going to be really important information for people out there, and you heard it. Now we're going to drive it home again. Watch what you take with opioids. Let your prescriber know and let your family doctor know. Take take all your medicines in a little baggie into your visit and let them go through it. I don't care if it annoys them. Let them go through it. You did your part. Thanks again, Alan. Thank you for having me. Again, thank you, Alan K., MD, Ph.D. That was very informative, and it was great to hear from a true expert in pharmacology and in pain medicine. So you put those two together, you have a true clinical pharmacologist who can put the understanding of pain into perspective with medications, best medications to afford the best outcome. Again, thank you very much. And again, tribute to Dr. Prithvi Raj. You will be missed. Please leave a review at iTunes. It helps us rank. And drop by paininformation.com and leave us a question. We'll try to get to all your questions. And thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.